my name is Greg Bachman, and I get the privilege to preach to all of you today. Before I get started, I just wanted to introduce myself and my family a little bit more. I've been married to my wife, Desiree, for 14 years, and Desiree fills kind of two big roles in our house. One, she's a stay-at-home mom with our three kids, and secondly, she's a public speaking instructor. So, all confessions, this is my first time on stage giving a sermon, so I thought, who better to give me good feedback than my public speaking instructor of a wife? So, she gave me two things that I need to work on this morning. The first is I have to use a lot of expression in my voice, and secondly, I have to use big hand gestures. Now, when I heard this, I was like, honey, I am an introverted math teacher, and uh, you want me to do what on stage in front of all these people? So, any grace you give me today would be awesome. So, all right. And like I said, we do have three kids. Our oldest is Emerson. Emerson's a seven-year-old, and she loves the arts. She loves singing. She loves dancing. She loves acting. Our second child is Madeline. Madeline's five, and Madeline's our little ball of energy at our house. She loves playing soccer, and she loves doing pretty much anything that completely wears me out. And then our youngest is Elijah. Eli just turned four this past week, and he has kind of two different personalities. On one side, he can sit for hours and work on a puzzle. And on the other side, he is a master at getting underneath our five-year-old daughter's skin. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how little brothers can seem to always do that? As far as myself, my day job, at least during the school year, is I'm a math teacher up the road in Underwood here. I've been doing that for at least 10 years. I don't know how many for sure, but that's kind of what I do otherwise. In the church, like Andy mentioned, I currently serve on the eldership team. I help co-lead a city group, and I also fill in as the treasurer as well. And over these past couple of years, it has been amazing to see, the peop- or to see God work in the people of Council Bluffs. I've been able to celebrate with friends who have added to their families through birth and adoption. I've seen friends celebrate having new jobs and having new homes. And we've all been able to witness several people commit their lives to Jesus through baptism up here on stage. God has done some amazing things in our city. And it's been an awesome experience to be a part of those. However, with all the amazing moments I've seen, I've also witnessed some hard situations the past couple of years as well. I've had friends who have had struggles with anxiety, have struggled with addictions, have struggles within their marriage, and many other hardships. I know it's fun to celebrate all the amazing things that's going on, but there are also people in our church sitting here today that are going through some really hard or tough times. Maybe you can relate to these scenarios. Are you the person who's gone to Citigroup for the past several months and have just sat there and let other people share what they're going through and you've just kind of sat in silence? Maybe you're a person who feels that if other people get to know what's, what you're struggling with in life, they might judge you or you might start to feel shame because of it. Maybe you feel that what you're going through in life right now is just a small bump in the road and you just need a little bit of time to get over it. Or maybe you're the type of person who feels like what you're going through is not as big of a deal as somebody else's, so you don't want attention taken away from them and put on yourself. Not only do we have people all around us that are struggling with things, I think if we're completely honest, 
most of us are experiencing some sort of hardship as well. Now listen to these statistics. You guys knew these were coming, right? According to recent reports, approximately 40% of Americans struggle to pay for a basic life need such as food or rent. That's two out of five people struggle to put food on their table or to pay for their homes. Approximately 20% of Americans struggle with some form of anxiety or depression. And approximately 50% of marriages end in divorce. And that number doesn't include families that are separated, couples that are going through major fights, or couples that are experiencing just some really hard times. For teenagers, school counselors are overworked because the issues with anxiety and addiction have seen a huge increase over the past few years. We have friends and family members that are being diagnosed with life-threatening illnesses at an alarming rate. And if you've turned on the news in the past week, you've probably seen something negative going on in our country, our state, and our community. Life is hard. And I think we'd be pretty naive to say that we aren't personally affected by something that's going on. Andy read Psalm 25 a little earlier. And this psalm was written by David. And David was a man who experienced many hardships, from having to lead troops into war to having somebody try to kill him. Kids in the room. David was picked on and bullied by his older brothers. It was hard for him when he was younger as well. And what he wrote in Psalm 25, what it does is it paints a picture for us in how we can work through our life struggles that we're experiencing. Whether we're dealing with something the world would consider big or small, whether we're experiencing anxiety, fear, frustration, or anger, what David does in Psalm 25 does a good job of walking through what all of, we, what all of us can do to help us through our hardships. There's three things that David does in this psalm. First off, he's honest about his hardship. Secondly, he gave praise to God. And third, he seeked deliverance from what he was going through. So let's jump back into the scripture. David starts the psalm by saying in verse 1, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Now, I find the way David starts this psalm to be interesting because I feel it's different to how a lot of my prayers and prayers I've heard start out. David states how he lifts up his soul, how he says that he, excuse me, he says how he lifts up his soul, how he trusts God, and then immediately he says, do not let me be ashamed. This psalm became very personal quick for David because that feeling of shame it's a feeling that we don't like going through. When I looked up the definition of shame, here's what it says. That shame is a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. In the definition, shame uses the words painful, humiliation, distress, wrong, and foolish. That word pretty much covers everything that I don't like experiencing. But the thing I do feel comforted in reading is that David is being honest with God about not wanting to experience this. 
How many times are we honest with God in such a way that we go to God and say, God, please don't let me feel shame. Or God, please don't let me be jealous of my neighbor. Or God, please don't let me be angry with my little sister. And so on. When we reflect on our hardships, my question for you is, is there something that's causing you to not be fully honest with either God or others about it? Maybe there's some shame that you are fearing may creep up if you're truly honest. I can remember a time when I was younger. I was about 10 years old. And at that time, my love was baseball. I would frequently go outside, take all the baseballs we had, throw them up in the air, and swing my bat at them. And I did this over and over. And the best part was, at the end of our yard was a fenced-in pig pen. It was so easy for a 10-year-old to get caught up in the fantasy that hitting a baseball into that pig pen was like a major league player hitting a home run. Now, like I said, I did this over and over. And the only part I didn't like was after I hit the baseballs into the pig pen, I had to go get them and pick them up. And if you've ever climbed around in a pig pen, the baseballs usually didn't come back nice and clean and usable right away. So one day I got this genius idea that I should hit rocks instead of baseballs. I wouldn't have to go hit, pick up the rocks, right? It didn't matter if they were in the pig pen, and this plan worked great. I can still remember the day where I found this nice round rock. It was shaped kind of like a smaller baseball. I threw it up in the air, and I caught all of it. In my mind, it was the bottom of the ninth. There were two outs. The bases were loaded. My team was down by three runs. I was at the plate in a major league stadium, and I just caught all of that ball. And as that ball was traveling, I was ready to hear the, the roar of the crowd, and I realized they sounded a lot like shattering glass. <laughs> On this day, my dad had parked his nice, big John Deere tractor right by the pig pen, and that rock went straight through the largest front window of the tractor. I immediately went from feeling like baseball hero to being like, uh-oh, I'm a dead man. So, just like David did a great example of being honest in Psalm 25 about his hardship, that's exactly what I did with my father, right? Not at all. <laughs> as soon as I did that, I ran into my house, up to my room, and hid under my bed. So, that broken window, it may feel like a very small thing in the grand scheme of life, but to a 10-year-old, it was a big deal. And the reason I share this story with you, it's not to let you all know that I love baseball, or that the 10-year-old version of myself could probably hit rocks better than the 10-year-old version of yourself. It's because I think we have similar responses to our hardships. I went and I hid to avoid my foolish behavior of, listen to this, hitting a rock with a tractor in the background. I knew that hitting rocks was not the smartest thing I could do, and it was triggered by my own laziness. I didn't want to go and have to pick things up. And what I did, I was humiliated by what I did. And I was hiding because of my fear of shame. As adults, I feel like oftentimes when we're going through a hardship, we will go and hide or withdraw from it because we don't want to feel shame. Shame is bigger than we think. And immediately in this psalm, David addressed that fear of shame. Can I make an assumption? 
that one of the biggest hurdles we have when going through hardships is that we don't want to feel shame. With the rock in the tractor window, it was completely my fault. I messed up, and I did something to cause the issue. And it's hard to admit when we're wrong or if we've made a bad decision. And when we have our hardships, if they're triggered because of something we did, it's hard to own up to that mistake. When I'm dealing with students at school, it is amazing to try and hear them talk around the mistakes they made and to try to get out of trouble. I've come to the conclusion that not only do they not want to get in trouble, but they're really embarrassed by what they did. They don't want to feel shame. I can still remember this student who was so embarrassed by what he did that even after he was shown his actions on a video camera, he still denied doing what he did. The fear of feeling shame is a huge roadblock when we're trying to overcome our hardships. So what does honesty look like in these scenarios? When you're honest, your hardships don't just go away. But what you've done is you've invited others into that hardship with you. When being honest with God, David received truth back. In verse 3, he heard a truth such as, None of those who wait for you, God, will be ashamed. And in verse 5, he states that you are the God of my salvation. By being honest, David received truth back. By hiding your hardships and not letting God into them, you are opening up doors for sin to creep in. I also feel that being honest with your hardships can go one step further than being honest with God, and that's by being honest with other people. If you are truly struggling with something and in a tough place, can we all agree that having someone by your side can be a helpful thing? At City Light, we have city groups, where smaller groups of people gather together outside of the Sunday gathering and do life together. I can still remember my first small group with several people in this church. And we eventually got to a point where we were able to open up about our hardships. In our small group, we had people that were struggling with infertility, a miscarriage, financial struggles, the loss of jobs, and family members having a life-threatening illness. And this was all in just a small group of people. But what I can say is that by being honest and opening up about our hardships, it helped with the healing process. It allowed other people to jump in and help serve those people in need. I really feel like if you are somebody who feels like you are alone with what you're going through, please find myself or one of the pastors after the service, and we can help get you connected to a small group of people to do life together. Or better yet, Pastor Chuck, he's not in here, but he told me he would buy you lunch after the 11:15 service if you go to the city group lunch later this morning. All right. Now that we've seen David be honest with God, this leads me to the second thing that David did in the psalm, which was he gave praise to God. As I hear the word praise, an earthly version of the word often slips into my mind. Praising people and praising God has some similarities, but there's also some differences that I want to walk you through this morning as well. When I praise another person, it's often using encouraging words or giving a compliment to build another person up. I think of working with teenagers in math on a daily basis. Some of you people are probably those people who love numbers, you enjoyed your math classes, 
And if you did struggle, you absolutely love the challenge of figuring it out. Were any of you like that? You are my people. I completely get that, and I know the joy of that. On the other side, I'm sure some of you hated your math classes. You never seemed to grasp the concepts, and the best part of math class was the end of the year when you turned in your textbooks. Were any of you like that? That's a lot of hands, and I don't get you. I don't understand that feeling at all. That seems so distant to me. But as a teacher, I have to realize that there are people like that in my classroom. If one of those students came to me and finally had a breakthrough in what they were learning and told me about it, and I told them, I'm glad you figured it out. You should have figured it out three weeks ago when everybody else did. How would that person feel? They would be defeated. They would never want to share any joys or hardships with me again, right? However, if I said something like, I'm excited that you figured this concept out, or I'm proud of the work that you put in, that's a good use of praise. You're giving somebody encouraging words to build them up. Now, let's listen to some of the things that David says about God in this psalm. Verse 8 says that good and upright is the Lord. And verse 10 says that all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. Those are some encouraging words and some strong praises that David is telling God. When I'm told that I'm doing good work or that I'm an example of love and being faithful, I'm going to feel pretty good about myself, right? And there are many other moments of praise in the book of Psalms. Psalm 138 verse 5 says that great is the glory of God. Psalm 145 verse 3 calls God great. Psalm 89 verse 1 talks about the steadfast love of God. And Psalm 136 verse 25 says that God fills all of us with our daily bread. And there are many more praises, not just in the book of Psalms, but the entire Bible. God's people are continuously giving him praise. And just like when we praise other people, when we are praising God, we're using encouraging words. However, when we praise people, we're doing it to build them up. But the purpose of praise has a slightly different context when we praise God. I believe praising God serves a different purpose for us. Praising God serves us as a reminder of who God is and how loving, powerful, and big He is. Let me say that again. Praising God reminds us of who God is and how loving, powerful, and big he is. We praise people to build them up. We praise God to help us remember our purpose in life and what he has done and will do for us. So why is praising God important in our lives? As you're dealing with a hardship, you can easily feel like you are alone on an island dealing with it then once you start to be honest with God and other people, you start to have other people walking beside you. God and other people are with you. Then, as you give praise to God, you are reminded of all those reasons about who God is and how he cares for each of us. All of a sudden, that hardship is transitioning from something you're doing by yourself to something that God has the power, desire, and ability to help us get through. God can give us the comfort that we are not in this by ourselves and that we are not alone. 
His attributes show us that we are cared for and that we are loved. Praising God helps us remember that there is someone much bigger than us. Now let's pick back up in the psalm at verse 16. David had just given God praise. And now he's ready to start stating what he is truly seeking in his prayer. He's finally ready to ask God for deliverance from his hardship. David starts, or says, starting in verse 16, Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble, and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes, and with what violent hatred they hate me. O oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me. As I read through those verses, I read them differently, knowing that David has already done the groundwork in what he is seeking from God. David has already been honest about his struggles, and he's already reminded himself of who God is through praise. David has made a personal connection with God about that hardship that he's going through. When you're asking for something, and you've already made a personal connection with that person, it feels way different than if you ask somebody for help that you don't really know that well. Knowing that, as I read these verses, I hear an underlying tone of David having confidence that God will be with him. David seems to have gratitude towards God for all the things that he has and will do. David is seeking deliverance from his hardship, and he's doing it in such a way that he is inviting God into his life, into his own personal struggle, and he's making it about God's bigger mission. So let me tell you a little bit about my personality. I am a fixer, and I am a doer. When I've done those personality tests out there, my most common personality trait is being an achiever. When I have struggles at work or at, at, work or at home, I commonly think, what can I do to get over this? What can I do to fix what's going on? I can remember being in a rut at work not that long ago. I was having feelings that what I was doing was pointless, that my job was not important, the tasks I were completing were tedious and meaningless, and I was making no difference in any student's lives. And it was causing me to not just being frustrated at work, but I was bringing those emotions home with me. I kept saying to myself, if I could just do X, Y, or Z, then all my problems would be solved. I kept trying to fix things on my own, and this time, it wasn't working. When we have our own personal hardships, do we seek deliverance from them the way David has, or do we try to fix things ourselves? It was finally my wife who asked me if I'd taken this situation to God that helped jumpstart my healing process. We have a God who wants to be with us in our hardships, and he wants us to ask him for deliverance from them. And how do I know this? It's because of the beautiful story of what God has done. Many years after David lived, God would send his own son, Jesus Christ, to earth, and Jesus would live the life of man. He would work as a carpenter. He would experience his own hardships, and he would show us an example of how we can deal with those hardships. Then God would allow Jesus, his only son, to be beaten, criticized, 
and eventually killed. And he did that for you and for me. After Jesus experienced his death, he would rise back up to be with God. And in that process, we were all given the promise that all who believe in Christ Jesus will not perish, but have eternal life. A God who is willing to sacrifice his only son in order for you and me to be forgiven of our sins, wants to be invited into our hardships and to experience our life with us. Now, as you hear this good news, I'd be naive to think that some of us might be thinking, I've been going through hard times for a long time. I've prayed. I've been honest to God. I've been honest to other people. I've given praise to God. I've done all of these things, and I'm still experiencing tough times. If that's you, first off, I want to say to you that I'm sorry you're going through that. Your hardship is real. Your feelings are tough to go through right now, and I wish you weren't experiencing that. Secondly, David says at the end of verse 21, for I wait for you. David acknowledges that hardships don't always go away quickly. They can, and I know they have for some people, but it doesn't always work that way. However, David is willing to wait for God's timing. Why do I think he's willing to wait? It's because of that ultimate promise that God gives us through the life of Jesus. As followers of Christ, we will be with God in heaven. And heaven is a place of no sin and no sorrow, no suffering and no shame. That beautiful promise awaits us. And David, using the phrase of waiting for God, should give us all hope that better times are ahead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that Psalm 25 has given us all hope that you want to be with us in our hardships. Lord, I pray that City Light is a, is a group of people who want to come to you in honesty and who want to be honest with other people about their lives, Lord. I pray that none of us have that feeling of being alone. And if we are, that we as a people seek those other individuals out and help to build them out, Lord. And if you do feel alone, I pray that anybody who feels that way has the courage to come and just be honest with a pastor a friend, a family member, whoever they need to be, just to be honest with them. Lord, I thank you that we are able to give you praise and be reminded of the God that you are, the God who wants to be in our lives with us, the God who wants to walk with us in our best of times and our worst of times. Lord, I pray for the rest of our gathering, and I thank you so much just for being a God who wants to live life with us. In your name we pray. Amen.